When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic, his incredible run going for the Grand Slam does not end in a triumph in the U.S. Open final. Daniil Medvedev beats him 6-4-6-4-6-4. And this is our raw reaction right after the match, as we like to do after these majors. This was emotional um, for both players. We saw someone win their first major. We saw someone basically lose this this chase for for history in the very, very last moment. Things going on with the crowd. Uh, Amy, what are you feeling right now? That tennis can do this sometimes and that sports never really stick to script and that's why they're enjoyable and compelling because anything can happen and my overwhelming feeling after seeing Novak at the end of the match and how he reacted is that if you are a fan of someone and you love that person and you support that person, then you still love them after something like this, because you love the person that they are, not a result or an accomplishment. So if you're a fan of his, like I am, um, you're just going to keep on supporting him the same as you always did. Uh, That is very, very thoughtful. And I think, uh, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, first, we all know about the whole thing of sports is the unscripted and the surprise. And it's one of the few things, sports is one of the few things where surprise isn't bad for you. In most parts of life, surprise isn't so good. And so sports is a good way to see it. And we'll get into Medvedev a little bit, but from the Djokovic standpoint, obviously crushing and you could see how much it meant to him. And he fought the good fight. And it, this doesn't diminish his his greatness, his a plus stature on the tennis, you know, pantheon. It's and and you see how fit he is and how hungry he is, and he's going to be playing for several more years. Though this, you know, this was a, a neat chance. It's not often when you get to win the first three and then come into the finals. But uh, tennis wise, well, we'll we'll dig into it a little bit more. Uh, again, but it was it was nice. It was also nice to see the whole crowd, a crowd gathered in the U.S. Open, the whole tournament had that aspect of gratitude. You you were front and center for most of the tournament, Gil. So maybe you can share that and talk about the whole end of the tournament today. Well, I think that was one of the reasons, the crowd was one of the reasons why um, I, I almost feel a sense of, you know, there's that saying, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Who said that? I should really know who said that. Who, wait. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Is that right? I never heard that. Yeah. Oh, really? I think it might be like Albert. I I shouldn't guess because then I'm going to sound like a (laughs) a fool. 
Uh, <laughs> Tell so us in the comments if you know. Somebody yeah, in the comments will know. You gotta learn this. There's a saying that also goes that uh, amateurs borrow professionals steal. So Gil Gross said it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's kind of how I feel, first of all, about the run, because think about how many memories and you know when when this starts to come to a close you think back to australia and the the oblique injury and then you think about roland garros and the coming back from two sets to love down and then you think about wimbledon and, and getting through all of those pressures and then i found it rather remarkable that that he even just continued to handle the pressure and make the final here at the u.s open even though the expectations were that he would accomplish it like, uh, for me, it was not a given based on the immense amount of pressure and having to go through a player like Zverev in the semifinals and and Berrettini to a slightly lesser extent in the quarters. Um, what a run this was. And I think at the end, for there to be this kind of, I don't know if I want to call it like a making peace between Novak and the New York crowd and that happening mutually, there was a lot there that was kind of like, yeah, Djokovic just lost a chance at the Grand Slam, but it almost feels like like a peaceful ending. Well, it's interesting how players, they age and people become more appreciative. And it's like Billie Jean King said, they, they love you when you start, they hate you when you're winning, and they love you again at the end. That was Billie Jean mm -hmm. King. That's a quote. <laughs> you didn't and, say that i thought that was joel drucker thank you yeah right i never had i never had any of those so uh they uh and i think with novak yeah i think we knew this whole tournament that the crowd was going to be a little more for him nadal and federer aren't here so he's the enduring of the three he was trying to do something spectacular and a chance to appreciate him at, at 34 as he's winning these big titles and uh yeah i think it, i think it'll be interesting to see when he comes back next year and I, and I think in this case in the in the tennis he logged in a lot more court time prior to this match than uh, than Medvedev That's well just just if I could going back to the crowd before we get into the tennis um and and I was in the crowd a few times and and got to really experience it it was fantastic um but at the start of the tournament they were against him and um oh, we got some comments on Twitter saying, uh, Gil, I thought you said that uh, the crowd was going to be in his favor because they wanted to see history. Well, what happened is with each match, it, it turned a little bit more toward him. And, um, you know, the second match he played, they were still against him, although not as vehemently. And then I, I was there for the Berrettini match and I was like, this is like just about 50-50 you know, Agreed. in terms of the support. Um, and then tonight, fast forward, um, he had the crowd on his side. And, and that's kind of the irony, because there have been all these think pieces that have been written about unloved Novak, which I'm not really sure I even agree with that premise. Um, but he finally got the crowd in his favor. And this was the one he lost. So there, there is a little bit of um, a twist there, but you know what? The story is unwritten because this is not his last U.S. Open and um, we'll see what happens next. Some will say probably, and I don't agree with this, but I imagine some people feel that Novak would have been better off if the crowd was rooting against him 
Maybe it would have distracted him and given him something else to think about, but I just don't agree with that. Silly. That's just, I mean, I think all that stuff is, is silly talk. The crowd, what, what the crowd is going to be playing better when it's for him, when it's playing against him. I mean, I know crowds have their influence on how people go about playing a sports, but particularly something like tennis, which is individual and it's weighing. I don't think that matters. I think, I think, and we're going to get to this shortly. I think it's about who you're playing to. It's about who you're playing and the ball and the legs and the nerves and all that stuff that just kind of plays into it. I don't think, you know, against four, I mean, in the very first match, he had a pronunciation challenge where in his first round match, Rune is confused with booing. So Rune, boo, and, and this energy. I think that was, I think that was, I think you talked about that in the, uh, in the very first day of the, the first Novak match of the tournament, Amy, that the crowd wanted some good tennis. It wasn't like they were necessarily purely antagonistic. I didn't realize that you thought the crowd was about 50-50 versus Berrettini. Since I wasn't there, I couldn't quite gauge it. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I would have thought it would have been more for Novak, but whatever. And then, and here, and here comes the final. Yeah. Well, okay. The, the crowd was one of the themes that we hit on when we previewed this tournament. Another thing that we discussed at length was the pressures. And it seemed to me, we will get to Medvedev uh, because Joel you know, obviously you're right. I mean, Medvedev was ultimately the undoing here, but I think the pressure uh, was also right up there. And in this match, for me, Djokovic looked tight and he looked tired. And those things generally visually can start to blend together and, and look very similar. But what was the, the end result here was I think it was too much pressure for, for Novak on this day, just like it was too much pressure for Serena when she was in the same position. And that is human. And that is why, you know, we don't make predictions on three, but I make predictions on Monday match analysis. I pick Medvedev over Novak because I'm just like, I don't think any human can withstand this. And I think that is kind of what happened. Well, that's interesting. You know, this whole thing around pressure, pressure in sports is so interesting. I mean, it's like, then we hear like Novak was talking about the Olympics and the privilege of pressure and you want it and it's real because you feel it because you get nervous and then if you're tired that doesn't help and he probably was maybe a little a little tired in the way pressure feeds into it but it's one of those things you could see Novak doing you know he's done so much work on himself on his psyche on his body so what do we mean by pressure what's that how do we how do we channel it and in some ways we're all human and in some ways these people are incredible performers so yeah, and Medvedev had the pressure of trying to win the slam and trying to beat this incredible player. So, yeah, pressure, pressure this way, pressure that way. It's always funny. It's like, oh, the pressure's on them because I don't have anything to prove. I have nothing to lose. All this language, all this language. It, it sometimes it just cracks you up. It's like pressure. It's like a, it's like a big little balloon that we want to bat to the other person. I don't feel any. The pressure's on them. They're expected to win. I don't know. It's well, a- I I thought that um, fatigue was really more of a a tangible factor here because um, Chris Fowler, the ESPN broadcaster at the start of the U.S. telecast said that Novak had spent five and a half hours more on court this tournament than Medvedev. I mean, that's very real, right? And um, I thought watching the final that it took a one-two punch to beat Novak. It was actually two players. It was Zverev and Medvedev. And that if Zverev had played Medvedev in the semifinal, the whole 
paradigm would have shifted, the whole equation would have been different. Um, but but it is what it is. And um, I just felt that fatigue was just a very real factor watching Novak. I agree with you. I agree with you, Amy. The uh, look, Novak played the second semi on Friday night. He had a five setter. And even though he won that fifth setter, fifth set handily, it was still a long match against a fairly physical opponent. And Medvedev played earlier in the day, mildly challenged in the second set, but won that in straight sets. So he, just that, that one alone, to say nothing of the days leading up. And then, and then Medvedev, whether smelling it or just feeling relaxed, because now this was his third slam final since he'd been in a couple before, he was, he was on fire. I mean, Medvedev, particularly that first set and a half, two sets, he, was, he, he couldn't miss. I mean, the serve, the, the serve, which is really good, the backhand, which he knows is good, and then the forehand. You know, that was kind of the X-factor shot for Medvedev, is if he's going to have the forehand not just under control, but doing things with it. And he was, he was lacerating it. I mean, hitting topspin and then drives and some inside outs and then running down some of the drop shots. And you know, when you've got, when you've got Novak going to fairly, not frequent, but more frequent serve volley points, you know you've got him in a tough place. Yeah, he certainly didn't feel comfortable winning the baseline rallies. And the stats um, in, in the long baseline rallies were very lopsided in favor of, of Medvedev. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I almost worried that Daniil was going to come into the match undercooked. And that's kind of what happened in Australia earlier this year. It was the same thing. Novak had played way more tennis and Medvedev had completely ripped through the draw. And then Djokovic beat Daniil, obviously, in, in the three-setter. Um, so it was kind of a similar situation last year, although Djokovic had the three-set. Or was it four against Karatsev, I think? Or did he beat him in straights, one or the other? Um, Much less physical than the Zverev semi. And Novak, despite sure. Taylor Fritz, a five-setter, I think Novak much more in his comfort zone. And also remember the early part of the year. The, the fresh January, January, fe well, February, in this case, of the Australian, which is different than totally. the, the late August, September. Like, it's been a long, it's been a long go of it. And here are 27 prior slam matches. And here's, here's the whole thing. And there's Rod Laver. And, you know, and you're right. That's, that's a unique set of circumstances. That I thought did. that Medvedev had done his homework. And there was a, a report that Medvedev was working on defending certain um, short angle cross court patterns. Like if Djokovic were to use a four, short angle forehand cross court, 
Medvedev this morning actually was just working on drilling, defending that over and over and over again, and that he arrived at the tennis center um, five and a half hours before the match to drill and work. And he didn't even need to defend that because I, I don't recall a ton of um, short angle forehand cross court. So he, he that tells me that the person who, who gave that report has observed one piece of what he had been working on and that he had done his homework top to bottom, probably learning a lot from that drubbing in the Australian Open. I also, though, don't think it was very, very tactical on the court here because, like, for example, Medvedev and Amy, you noticed this on Twitter, night and day difference between what Medvedev got out of his first serve in this match versus in Australia. At the Australian Open, Novak was simply getting the first serve back, and um, today he was not, and Daniil's first serve was doing massive damage. You know, uh, that kind of thing, I almost think Daniil served better, and mm -hmm. Novak didn't have the spring in his legs to get those returns back. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. return, or return them effectively also, and then, I so the tactic might have been the variety of the serve, but more importantly, your point is it was the execution of the serve. Less than, I mean, because there were points where Medvedev was serving to every which way, but then you're right, the Djokovic return at times wasn't as effective, either getting in play for one or doing something productive with it, which was going to get him to some degree in control of the point. But yeah, so Medvedev was just, he was just dictating left and right. I mean, my God, every, so many rallies, so much depth and everything. There was that one pivotal, this is where I thought the entire match turned. Um, although, you know, one could argue that it was, it was destined just because of the way that, that Novak came out, but it was in the second set, Medvedev was serving one, two, um, Novak had a break point and there, there was like music or something. And, uh, the chair umpire had to call a let and Daniil got first serve again. Well, he missed his first serve, but he did nothing with his second serve. I mean, it might've been in the seventies or something. And then Novak did nothing with the return. And, um, you know, there was a, the, maybe I'm confusing the two different break chances, but in that game, one, two in the second set, there were a couple of break chances that, that uh, Novak just couldn't convert. Yeah, that right, that really was pivotal you're right and then and it's to all and then that eventually wins the set yeah and that's the little window that's the classic window for the person who win, who loses the first set to to redirect and take charge mm -hmm. and and he, and he didn't and there was a whole sense though those i guess through the whole match of novak okay where are you where are you where are you are you not quite and and, and at the same time big credit for medved he's like impregnable he was doing some of the things that novak usually does where he was so airtight the backhand was fantastic in the, in the cross courts, kind of the, uh, the, the C to C or D to D rallies off the backhand, which Novak usually, or is really, that's a real launching pad for Djokovic is the cross court backhand to do things again and again. And that eventually gives him the chance to drive it down the line or get something that he gets hacked with his forehand. And he didn't, he didn't do that much today because Medvedev was doing that. I think that's why, I mean, the Australian open final kind of clouds this reality that this has been a really difficult matchup for Novak. Um, I think with Medvedev, he completely transformed himself in 2019. So when I look at a Medvedev 
head-to-head record. I kind of like to start it there. Just like with Novak, I like to start a head-to-head in 2011 because that's when he became Novak. Uh, The head-to-head since 2019 is 3-3. It was 5-3 overall, but it was 3-3. And I think one of the massive reasons for that is exactly the backhand-to-backhand dynamic there where you're, you're so right. It's like what percent of players on tour does Novak fancy himself just hitting backhands with right-handers. 9.9. I mean, in other words, for example, you see the guys he plays, first of all, not that they're that many, all the one-handers, all of the one-handers, if they're not, they're, they're limited to like two or three cross courts and they better do something because they don't, they're just going to be at the other end of the seesaw. That's not going to work. And then the two-handers, I mean, you know, I, I think Nishikori's got a great backhand. Go fan was good, but these guys are all like children of a lesser Novak, but Medvedev, He's just something, you know, he's got that kind of whippiness to it and he can take it down the line. And then his, his court positioning, I mean, it really is interesting. I mean, I always razz you about it, Gil, because of how you learn to play way back behind the court to return and then get in the rally and then move. It's like, what is going on here? So Novak said, I think, where is my, where's my port of entry here? Where do I, how, how do I get in on this guy? And, and, and then Novak's forehand, again, the, I think the legs and the other thing, just not, not really cooperating. I felt that also the finishing was a problem for Djokovic, a big problem. Um, and that also goes back to how great a counterpuncher Medvedev is. Uh, because, and that's that's where he looked tight. Like, I agree that he looked, he looked totally tired. Um, and I thought on the return and when he had to defend, that was evident. But then sometimes it's, okay, it's a, it's a, Daniil hits a poor drop shot or something. And we saw a lot of that. Medvedev hits a bad drop shot and Novak can't finish in tight. Um, and he, we saw Djokovic lose a lot of points trying to approach the net, maybe forcing it a little bit. But all of these things is just, he was too tight to execute. And it needs to be great against Daniil because he's such a good counter puncher. If it's, if it's not great, it's not going to be good enough um, against him, right? Well, you look how well Novak played in that Australian final, how, how much he patrolled the courts and how he was on things in this case yeah he he comes in to run down the drop shot and he doesn't quite do enough and then there are a few key points that he missed where he was wide and that is that mix of of legs plus nerves i mean yeah it was kind of it was kind of jarring because you're so used to seeing novak take care of those points take care of that stuff and pretty much clamp that down it's like you're not going to get away with that against me you're not going to get away against this and pretty soon he's in control of the court but he didn't do that and then a few times he tried to okay i'm going to hit bigger but again, Medvedev, he just absorbs the ball and flings it back and gets to the point. I have a more Medvedev-centric topic, um, mm-hmm. if that's all right. Yeah. So since 2017, our three, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, have been airtight at the majors. And I know it's diminished a little bit. Federer went away a little bit after 2018 and then Nadal went away a little bit this year um, at the majors besides at Roland Garros. Um, But there hadn't been a younger player beating any of them in a final. Um, It was just, it just hasn't really happened until Mm -hmm. today. And Medvedev has finally done it. And it didn't matter how many masters 1000s they won or anything. It was always, well, they, they didn't do it in a major and he Mm -hmm. is the first, to do it. So what does this mean, Amy? 
Well, for Medvedev and maybe others like him, um, the, the thing that people were starting to hang their hat on was the best of five thing because um, they were like, yeah, well, sure, uh, Novak can be beaten in a best of three, but the best of five, that's where this guy brings it. And the knock on Medvedev is that he just really hadn't won that many best of five matches in his career. I mean, not best of five, five set matches, I should say, matches that are stretched for the duration. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it, you know, it, I, I was thinking of some of the, the uh, when Medvedev won the first two sets, I was thinking of some of the best of three, best of five debates and arguments and, and wondering what the outcome would be. And uh, Danil had to dig hard and, and prove that he can hang with Djokovic. He can beat him in a best of five. And that sort of element that, Djokovic's impregnable in this format has been taken away, at least at this slam on this surface. Well, and the other thing with Medvedev, I mean, look, he's, he's put himself in his pole position for a couple of years. I mean, he's demonstrated some significant results through 2019 and 20, and he's, he's accumulated those building blocks. He's, he's won Masters Series events. He's done well at all of them. He, he won the, um, the London tournament. So he's it's not like it's not like he came out of the blue and suddenly did this. Where's this guy been? So in a way, he'd established himself. He, he was a second seed, so he'd established himself. What it means? Wow, I that, that's. Uh, I think it means he's. I hope what happens to Dominic Team did not have will not happen to him. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. That was I was a, I was kind of jolted by that because that team, a little older, had 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 his track going of clay results and a couple of other slam finals and, and, you know, beating Federer and Indian Wells. So now the team has had a, had a really, a really tough year by his own admission. And I hope Medvedev, and it's tempting to say, well, it sure seems that he's, he's fresh and he's good and he's got a different kind of game. He's got a 200 backhand and, and who knows? So I, I look, we, we know, we know that the big three, it's that, it's pretty tough to think of them as the, the, well, the lock. It's interesting. If you look at it slam by slam, you've got to still think Novak's got to be the guy in Australia, Rafa and Roland Garros. Maybe then it's, it's interesting. And then Wimbledon and the U S open. I, Wimbledon, I don't no, nobody has any track record or results at Wimbledon. The 40 year old guy in Switzerland does, but we don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I I mean, the really interesting one now is going to be Australia because they're all tied at 20. And is this the one where Novak pulls ahead and does 21? Or is this such a gut punch that he's going to need some time, even more time to get over it? Oh, no, um, I, think he, I, think he, I think he's right on the horse. I think he knows that he had an incredible year. He won three majors. He got zoned. You know, got a guy played a career match to beat him. And this, and he, and then he he gets his. You know, he's probably got an incredible regimen of whether it's going to be what the rest of the year's competition like, and then organize himself, and then get to Australia, be in his happy space, his happy place. Australia. So you're you're predicting that he'll pick up 21 then? No, I no no. I predict that okay. if anyone's going to win 21 there, it's far more likely to be Novak than the other two. I don't see. I don't. I have a hard time. You know, I, I you know I feel so I'm going to try to nuance this because I don't like making predictions. I have a hard time envisioning 
Roger Federer doing in 22 in Australia what he did in 2017 in Australia. But what about the other factor, which is someone who isn't one of the three of them? Well, that's, that's that, yeah, I, I would say that's more plausible than, right, that's right, Medvedev riding the wave. Like Medvedev says, hey, I got to the finals in 21. I won the US Open. I've won London. Let's go. Let's go. I'm going to topple you. I'm going to topple you, Novak. And I'm going to take you down in Australia. That's Look, right. Medvedev, Medvedev's the number two threat, I think. I, I can't believe we're skipping ahead here, but I guess we are. Yeah. Uh, Medvedev is, it's not, it won't be Nadal going into the tournament. Now, it could end up being him because we're not future predictors. But right now, um, you'd have to think, like, Daniil Medvedev has won every single big title on a hard court except Miami and Indian Wells and the Australian Open. It really does feel like uh, <laughs> Yeah, just those three. He's only missing those three. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's true. I know, but so, but anyway, here's this. Those I are fear. the big ones though, Gil. Like those are no, like. But, I, <laughs> but there are, the, wait a second, wait a second. He's won Canada. He's won Cincinnati. He's won the U.S. Open. He's won Shanghai. He's won the ATP Finals. These are a lot of tournaments. Okay. All right. Fair yeah. enough. But, but I think, okay, Paris this, Masters? Yeah. Paris Masters? No. Okay. He won Paris. He won Paris. He did. He did. Yes. Okay. Yes. I fancy Medvedev more in Australia than I do Federer and Adele. That's kind of way yeah. I would look at it. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not really talking about Federer and Nadal right now. We're just, my, my point was, is Novak going to be his typical fresh as a daisy when he comes to Australia, or is he still going to be feeling the effects of this, um, which, which could, you know, put a Medvedev um, in a better position? It, it was just a thought. It's not a prediction. It's just a thought. He's too fit. And he's too still closer, closer to a prime stage of his career than our other two. I think, for example, Federer, the hit that Federer took for that 2019 Wimbledon final, emotionally, physically, uh, tennis clockwise, that was a bigger thing. You know, and, and ditto to a different, in a different way, Nadal at Roland Garros this year. I mean, those losses hurt, hit those guys because of where they're at physically and they're wearing Terry Novak. I mean, he is, this was obviously a tough result, but uh, it's hard to believe he won't be physically fresh and ready by Melbourne. I think he turns the page. And, and for me, the biggest thing for him is motivation. And as long yeah. as it's, as long as it's 2020, 20, I'm really not worried about Novak Djokovic. Once he hits 21, he might need to ha mentally reset and, and think about what's next and how he can get himself up. And, and get himself going. That could be a challenge for him. I'm not sure. Uh, we'd have to see. But um, I, as long as it's 2020-20, I think he's guns a blazing. And the the real question is: Is he going to keep playing this year? I think that's a question. Are we going yeah. to have post U.S. Open without the big three? Well, we got two of them missing. So the question is: I think Novak. I think Novak will play some more this year. I think so. so. We got Indian Wells, which is in an odd time on the yeah, calendar. I, I mean, right. really weird, right? Like after all yeah. the slams and then Indian Wells, what's weird to think is that it's going to happen again very soon after it happens. And <laughs> so it's like, wow, do I really need to play Indian Wells twice in just a few months in this? Well, the, the tour, you know, the, I mean, 
the tour itself for to have to have Indian Wells without any of the big three there would be a little tough for the tour trying to generate distraction, even though these guys could do whatever they want and they've earned the right to make those choices. So Novak, does he start selecting these guys? Hmm. And I'm not sure. I, I was gonna. I forgot to check Novak and Labor Cup. No. No. So no, no Labor Cup. So I could see Novak going in Indian Wells, one maybe Paris, maybe and then London. But I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see how he how he feels. I don't. I think. Yeah. I mean, he's got enough time between now and Indian Wells to yeah to chill on that. One thing I wanted to hit on earlier was uh just the arms race between Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev primarily. There are some auxiliary figures like Shapovalov and Rublev and Berrettini. Um, but I feel like they were very competitive with each other of who is gonna break through and win the first major. And I'm very interested to see how all of them respond, not only Medvedev, I'm interested to see how the others respond to, to that happening. I think Medvedev though, look, he's now been in three finals. He got to two this year. Um, you know, Stefanos, I don't think Tsitsipas has done himself a lot of favors in recent weeks with his, you know, he's created a lot more noise around himself than he had hoped that I think he'd hoped to. And that, and then, and then it starts to, make you wonder about the game and the competitive temper. You know, Medvedev is like, look at this guy. Look, and, and Zverev, for all the stuff that surrounds him, uh, he's played some good tennis. He's played some good tennis through this summer. Yeah, um, those guys, in addition to Berrettini, I mean, you have to put him up there. Um, those four, I think, are um, the prime candidates to um be the guys that we're talking about in future shows wait, wait, are, you, are you are you are you are you jettisoning dominic team are you are you think it's going to you think uh, it's going to continue in 22 the way i have a very um strong opinion about team and that is that he played way 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 too much tennis for a period of about two or three years yes and um I think he's, because of that, um, his future is a question mark, but I'm certainly pulling for him. And um, I hope that Medvedev and the others, um, particularly Zverev, um, really look hard at that, at what he did and the calendar and um, think about how the big three have managed their, their schedules appropriately and give that a lot of thought. That's a really good thought. And if I may just draw an American sporting term, do you think that uh, uh, team is a little bit like one of these baseball pitchers who threw a, a, lot, in, a lot of innings early and that may have left a, a, a malingering kind of effect that obviously hit him this year and kind of, you know, it's going to be tricky for him to kind of recalibrate himself and, and then be back in the mix again. I hope, I hope that's not the case because I really, I like him a lot, but it's sure this year he pretty much, was pretty much out of it this year. And, um, and then those other guys have been making progress. So the problem in tennis is you can't stand still because then there's some other people like, like look how Berrettini has vaulted up this year yeah. and yeah. and how much better he's going to get. I think Berrettini, I, I, I like, I like his attitude. I like his competitive and emotional attitude. And then it's a question for him. It's a, it's a backhand question. And, and 
yeah, he lacks movement also that that everyone else kind of has. Right. Um, and but, I think he he I know the show's not about Veratini, but since I saw him and I had good courtside seats, I saw him play Djokovic. Um, even on the forehand, I think there's a question of efficiency and um, energy um, because Novak is just so clear, was so much more efficient in his um, kinetic chain. And uh, he was, Novak was not having to work nearly as hard shot for shot as Berrettini was. So um, I think he's, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, please don't get mad at me anyone, but I think Berrettini needs to look hard at his technique on several of his strokes. I won't, we won't get mad at you. I think that's great. I, I think that's really yeah. interesting. And I, what I think is also interesting, when you look at the evolution of the big three, they surfaced at this era where the surfaces became more homogenous and 32 seeds and they rode that wave and then they were great and they got better and better and they've dominated. I think moving forward, it's hard to imagine, of course, I said this before even with Pete Sanford, it's hard to imagine three guys so taking up the goodies. And you look at these contenders, Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, different styles, different ways of trying to take, you know, of, of going beyond the big three to something different. And that's pretty neat and that's exciting. So I think we could be seeing in the course of the, the decade of the 20s, some multiple styles attempting to impose themselves on the game. Whereas the, the organic ascent of the three in the 32 seed um, homogenous surface era kind of occurred, you know, kind of is this convergence of things, but now it won't be converging because people are building different styles. I mean, look at all these, look at those four uh, of how differently they all mm-hmm. play from one another. And that's, that could be really exciting for tennis from a style. The same thing that kind of, occurred for different reasons in the women's game. The mm-hmm. women's game is filled with stylistic diversity. And that's a really exciting thing. And that makes watching tennis really fun. To me, tennis is most fun when you have different, con- when you see a match and you see different rallies. So what I saw, I remember seeing a match once and I saw within about 10 minutes, oh, every rally is pretty much going to go like this. And then mm-hmm. that's when it becomes boring. But when you see different, like I want to see Berrettini and Stefanos play one another. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would just throw out a, a caution. I, I agree with everything that, that you just said, Joel. Um, just it's easy to ignore the younger generation and focus on the more ready generation. But in two years, it's not a guarantee. Like Berrettini is not just competing with the people that are his age, like Titi Pasverev and Medvedev. He's going to be competing with Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner and Massetti before we know it. So right. just... Just uh, something, to, something to keep in mind. Oh, that's exciting too. Hey, look, I was thinking Jensen Brooksby. I yeah. see, and, and, and poor Sebastian Corda, who, who had to retire at this year's US Open. But uh, yeah, no, that's, and that's the thing about it. You think you're, you're Berrettini and you're setting your sights towards those big three, but then you look behind you. Yeah, and there's Musetti and there's Alcarez. And right, and that, it's a very, I think it's a really exciting period. And I think it speaks to some way the inspiration of excellence that these big three with their fitness, with their dedication, with their, you know, they've been kind of like these North star guiding lights of excellence. And uh, these, a lot of fascinating players playing well during the US Open this year. Well, Novak took out the number one contender of that generation on grass and Berrettini at Wimbledon, took out the best clay player of that generation in CT Pass at Roland Garros. And then he took out the best hardcore um, player um, in Medvedev in Australia 
And um, ultimately, as we've seen uh, today, it was just one step too far uh, for Novak to reach, given all of the different circumstances put together. Um, I, I got, you know, I found viewing this tournament to be incredibly, incredibly rewarding, like not only personally, but just as a objective, uh, viewer of everything that we saw and, and Novak's journey. And, uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative for it. I thought it was incredible. Um, and, you know, for sure, um, Federer and Nadal's absence as much as they are going to be felt in a very, very big way. Um, the sport, the sport is going to create its own intrigue and interest always. Agreed. Great players emerge. And this US Open showed it. Yeah. I mean, I think we could see vividly at this US Open life after, uh, life after Federer Nadal and uh, some tremendous tennis. I just was thinking about the speech that Novak gave, um, his concession speech, basically. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, runner up speech, yeah, exactly. And um, he said something about you know the, the love that he felt from the crowd, it was something that he really wanted, and it was very um, gratifying for him to feel that. And it made him feel, even though he lost, it made him feel like the happiest man in the world. And it, it was kind of, I don't know if he did this intentionally, but it reminded me of Lou Gehrig, the famous New York Yankee who, who, you know, suffered from that terrible disease, but he made the, the famous luckiest man speech. And, um, it, it kind of was like a tip of the cap to that. And I thought it was incredibly gracious and, um, and hopeful, you know, just like Garrick's speech was, was hopeful. Um, let me, uh, so, yeah. Let me, if I, may, I like that. And let me, uh, let me give you a, another New York history moment in the history of New York and sports. And actually, I think Garrick's was in 1939. So that way, and this is 2021. In the middle, Garrick, of course, was beloved and he'd been diagnosed with this heart. He had this horrible disease and he just felt gratitude. 1978, Jimmy Connors wins the US Open. The year before, he'd stormed out. There's a very hectic end at Forest Hills and he didn't go to the awards ceremony and he was fairly reviled. And he wins in 78 and he says, I'm paraphrasing, he says, whether you like me or not, I like you. And from uh -huh. then on, nice. Connors never ha had the crowd in his hand. You know, there's this whole, this whole little art form of what New York crowds are and how you engender with them. It's really not that hard. They want... Uh, yeah, they like underdogs, but it doesn't mean they want them to win. I mean, if that if, let's say if that match today goes into a uh, fifth set or something, that is all Novak. Yep, that is no, that is like cheering them on because they want to see it and they want to see the guy be the top of the heap and all of the above. But uh, it's nice these moments, and it was nice to see Novak engage with it. That's you know, each slam has its own factor, and while the crowds are big at all of them, I th I think none of the slams is the crowd have more that player crowd connection throughout than the U.S. Open because of its whole, it doesn't mean the others don't have legitimate crowds. It's just, it means a lot, the whole New York vibe, all the end of the year, all of that. I thought, I too thought it was uh, very, it was very poetic in its own way, despite Novak losing the match, kind of winning the crowd. Um, not that, look, it's not a good consolation. And obviously he could have won the crowd and the match, but it's still, everything had me feeling as, as we started the show, 
um, I feel like appreciative of everything that we've seen this year in 2021 out of Novak Djokovic. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.